Welcome to Punching Out. Uh, this is Bob Ack. This is Alfred. And this is Abby. So as our listeners may know, and we certainly know, our show Punching Out is about work. Uh, that's what we talk about here. And the three of us are all in some way or another related to college and university. So what we wanted to talk to, about today is the connection between college and careers or college and work. So, Babak? Yeah, my, um, the institution where I teach, uh, in fact, prides itself uh, on that connection. RIT has always prided itself on being career focused for its students. That's how it sells itself. That's how it competes in a region relatively uh, college rich by saying that we are not like U of R, we are not like Nazareth. We get students into co-ops and then they go off and get work. The change over the past few years has been that um, that focus is still there, but it seems that what we define as careers has been changing rapidly uh, over the course of the last 20 years at least. And so the question comes up again and again, are we educating for these kind of careers and do students get that kind of work and should we be in this sort of instrumental link between uh, students coming in, paying tuition and going out the other side, working for corporations and being in a lot of debt. So I think it's time for many institutions to start asking that question. Right. Well, and interestingly, Babak, in your discussion of um, your institution, when you said, and how we compete with the other schools in the area, sure. and sort of interestingly, because we had talked about calling this conversation here the neoliberal arts, the idea of, of universities yeah. as bodies that compete against each other, even yeah. that is sort of indicative of this whole conversation oh, here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There wasn't, yeah, there, there's a new market. Um, yeah. You know, this is a, the interesting historical shift because universities used to be a lot smaller in number and student populations were a lot smaller. They're a lot harder to get into, a lot more right. restrictive. But on the other hand, as we become more open and there's more enrollment and growing bigger and bigger, it's now looking at students as, you know, they're the, they're the customers. Right. And I'm sure you right. hear that. Yep. Students are customers. Yep. And what do you do with customers? Well, you sure, you're supposed to be nice to them, but neoliberalism doesn't care about the customer. Mm-hmm. The, the service is out the window. The goal is to just make customers purchase. Right. So I've heard people refer to certain universities as being like an ATM machine. Mm-hmm. That the uh-huh. students are ATM machines, I should say. That you know, that's oh, that, sure. <laughs> that the yeah. university finds every yeah. <laughs> means possible to sort of extract money. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that it's some in some ways then uh, if there's the sort of promised or anticipated future career that's lucrative and pays a lot of money, then somehow paying more money should be more worth it. Well, is there an arbitrary relationship between college and career? Like, whatever you can get with a bachelor's degree, in most fields other than, like, computer science or something like that, they're not really related to most of the coursework that you do. Like, the student who gets the bachelor's is not automatically better than a student who doesn't at any particular thing. So it's kind of an arbitrary relationship. Yeah. I mean, I I think what has happened is that to link Mm -hmm. this back to to your suggestion that that maybe there's an arbitrary distinction between someone who has the degree and someone who doesn't, um, that is true in some fields. I don't know if it's true in others. So I think sort of software development, there's a lot of sort of uh, self-trained uh, coders and yeah. programmers, yeah. and that is actually kind of valued by the industry. Whereas I think in the in again my experience at RIT, 
the engineering program there is so lockstep and gives students, I mean, it is, a lot of my colleagues refer to it as kind of vocational. So I guess that is part of what we're talking well, about. Well, yeah, but, you know, you're also talking about... A, so there's a big difference to me in the humanities versus versus the sort of engineering and STEM fields in one particular sense that I find kind of interesting. When you're in literature, let's say, let's say you're majoring in English, part of it is communication with others. Mm-hmm. You don't produce literature in a vacuum. You produce it in a, in a collective see, space. Yeah. But coding is an individual's act. Now, you can work together in teams, but the teams are very modular. There's even forms of management to produce Mm -hmm. these things, like agile processing, where everybody is sort of tailorized into a small bit. Mm -hmm. So the careers that we encourage through these kind of things tend Mm -hmm. to be those ones that foster individual competitiveness, right? Modularization of activities, but not collective, flattening, collaborative Mm -hmm. kind of Uh thing. Yeah. And so then, uh, so I went to a liberal arts, a small liberal arts school, and um, I definitely don't feel that I got very much career training th- through my education. And we, I actually were so often told, you know, it doesn't matter what you do here. The important thing is that you spend four years in this sort of intellectual pursuit, and then you come out on the other end, and you're all of a sudden this formed human adult that can get a job and stuff. And I think, so sort of cynically, you could say, well, yeah, you pay so much for this sort of so-called elite education, and you come out the other end as someone who knows how to speak at dinner parties and stuff like that. (laughs) And um, I guess the specialization there came from being told all the time that you are special, you are special, you are uh-huh, special. Right. And the reason that you're going to win the competition is not because of you know any sort of hard skills, but just because you're here. You, you're reproducing you're, the right. aristocracy in exactly. a way, right? That's yeah. part of, which is one of the functions college had for right. a time, right. was to reproduce an aristocracy right. and mm-hmm. separate them from the masses. Abby, I wonder in the school that where you were, yeah. were there a lot of students from poor, from poverty, from poor backgrounds? No, no. And the ones that were, I remember, and this is sort of related to the job part afterwards, like I had one friend who, um, he did come from a really... He, he struggled a lot um, growing up and uh, financially. And so after graduation, he took this job where, you know, he kind of sold, sold his soul to the devil because he and he told mm. us on the first day, mm. I've never lied so much in my entire life. <laughs> wow. And his, you know, his initial salary was like 80,000 or something, yep. which is so crazy. And I remember a lot of us were sort of like, how did he, how could, how could he do that? You know, um, what, but, poor, oh, poor people were all supposed to have better ethics than the rich, right? That's what, or that's yeah, right. or the, it's easier, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, and so that was, that's kind of what happened. And um, yeah. so the few people who did come from poorer backgrounds, they like, ended yeah. up having and, to do that. And they don't, and they don't fit in no matter what. Right. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's just the perpetual thing. So, so maybe the, uh, the, the plastic that makes these, um, uh, human ATM machines work is this dream of a middle class existence. Yeah. So you 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 bring students in, uh, and I, you know, full disclosure here. Not only have I taught at RIT, but I've been an administrator there. So I've <laughs> been middle management, and I've and I've welcomed parents and students in, and I've and I've sold my soul to the devil in in mm-hmm. terms of selling and being a salesman for the university, mm-hmm. and. You know, one of the things we sell is we say, why should a student come 
to this institution and study liberal arts when it's not a small liberal arts mm-hmm. school. In fact, no one can major in English at RIT. <laughs> so, oh. so how do you know? Come here to study, let's say, psychology. We actually have a philosophy program. So the way we sell it is that your fill in the liberal arts major plugs into all these other technological things at this institution. So the 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 competitiveness is shifting in terms of what universities want to offer yeah. and the kind of enticements they give students. Yeah. But but what isn't changing is this sense that the middle class dream is being sold. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And you don't yeah. hear... So I went with my daughter who recently started college and we went to visit some colleges and we went to a small women's college mm-hmm. in the Northeast, in the New England area, very prestigious. Mm-hmm. And... She was appalled at the speech that the president gave to the yeah. sort of families in, in waiting there because it really emphasized engineering. And uh-huh. we, they built a new building for engineering. As I was saying to Bobak earlier, you don't see, nobody builds a philosophy building. Yeah. Nobody builds an, a yeah. literature building. Right. We build an engineering building. And, and this was seen as like, yay, this is what is. And my daughter was appalled because she, in fact, majors in philosophy now. Mm-hmm. And this is. Right. So there are students that don't. That, that yeah. even their own career paths, you have a choice. If I don't go into the STEM career, what am I going to do? Yeah. And that's right. what, in fact, my, when I teach a lot of times and I'm teaching graduate students, they'll ask the question, well, what am I going to do? How do I do this? What, it's always yeah. about yeah. how do I move to the next place? No one's yeah. ever asking, how do I stop and just think about what we're doing? Yeah. Right. You know. All right, let's uh, take a break. We'll come back shortly. This is Abby from Punching Out. We're taking a moment out of our show to ask you to take a moment to support Wayo and the incredible programs they bring to you every day by making a donation to help keep it going. Wayo survives because of support from you. We receive no government funding or large corporate support. We are completely supported by our underwriters, our programmers, and our listeners, one pledge at a time. You can support Wayo while sitting in the comfort of your home or perhaps in the middle of your workday. Log on to donate.wayofm.org. Browse the various gifts and levels and choose what's right for you. It's easy, safe, and secure. And any amount makes a difference. When you support Wayo, you tell everyone that you value people over profits and creativity over restrictive formats. You tell our programmers that you value all the hard work and imagination that they give on a volunteer basis. So go ahead and express support for your community and the amazing shows broadcast here on Wayo by making that donation online at donate.wayofm.org. And thank you. Welcome back to Punching Out. This is Alfred. Um, We were just talking about elitism and the reproduction of the elite in colleges. And one of the things that I'd like to ask, who gets in and who doesn't and why? Here's an interesting statistic. This came out, a new report from the Council on Graduate Schools provided some data from 2016. Mm -hmm. um, And they looked at enrollment of African-American students. And in 2016, only 48,300 African-American students enrolled for the first time in graduate school. Um, That's 9% of all first-time graduate students. Um, But if we look at the total enrollment overall in graduate programs in the U.S., in 2016, there were 184,000 African-American students, which makes up about 10% of all enrollments. Now, if qualifications for jobs require graduate degrees, mm-hmm. what does that say? And we know graduate degrees are professional fields usually. Um, but what about 
higher ed jobs, faculty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As Bobak, you know from from where you are at IT, and most colleges are all trying to expand their diversity of faculty, and yet 10% are African-American in graduate schools, limiting the potential for that. So what are your experiences in terms of who gets in, who doesn't? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's it's a scandal, (laughs) and I think uh, universities realize that it's a scandal, and they're scrambling to expand their diversity. And I think one thing we have to relate this to is the, um, the K through 12 school system. You know, for, for students in, let's say, 10, 10th or 11th grade, it's a black box in terms of, okay, I'm going to apply and hope it sticks and I don't know how it's going to go. And, and now, you know, with, with GPAs being more than 4.0 in yeah. some instances... <laughs> The competitiveness is is pretty intense. So if you don't have the resources leading up to graduation from tw- from twelfth grade, then how can you hope to get into a, a yeah. competitive school? You yeah, know? and a, a lot of times I think that with both undergrad education and also graduate education, there's this it's sort of in order to buy into it, you kind of have to buy into the idea that it doesn't it's more valuable than than money. Yeah. Um, mm, it is right. an investment. And it is an investment. Oh, yeah. And so um, I think that you see like, so how many people can afford and, you know, maybe you have a scholarship or maybe it's okay, but there's also the opportunity cost, you know, using economic terms, like the opportunity cost of those years of time when you were there and not making yeah. more money. And yeah, well, that's, right. and that's offset by student loans. Right. And so it disproportionately hits people who are poor. It's, it's it's almost disgusting to me that you have to pay the price of admission to get a job mm-hmm. so that you can spend that much of your money on your student loan debt that allowed yes. you to get the job, yeah. which is a perfect example of neoliberalism in action. That's right. right. It yeah. wasn't... Bobak and I were talking about this earlier. In 1985, we notice a shift in terms of faculty salary ranges, yeah. like ranges going up. But what else is going on? Well, I can tell you in the CUNY system, City University of New York, it was free up until the 70s. Mm-hmm. Then, when I started in 1987, tuition was $500 a semester. Yeah. And it kept going up. Now, it didn't go up a lot compared to private schools. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, they saw an audience and the right. demand was there. Yeah, now right. everyone's supposed to have college. And so what a perfect opportunity to pick right. the pockets of a desperate population, wow. which yeah. disproportionately hits people who are poor. So people like me who had to rely on student loans, I will be paying student loan debt till I'm 70. Yeah, I will right. be yep. 70 years old and paying off my student loans. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that prohibits Likewise. that. Mi- and yeah. <laughs> so how do you go from being yeah. poor to that middle class? Well, yeah, in a way I can get a middle class lifestyle, but not really. Right. Sure. And I'm paying. Yeah. yeah well, right. I, I think to to uh, build on the, the idea that this is a neoliberal arts yeah. mm-hmm. university <laughs> system, uh, you know what? What I'm seeing is that um, uh, if you can market what you're selling to the one percent and have them, with their purchasing power, support you, then why worry yeah. about the rest? So I right. think that's that's the way it's functioning, and and the only way you worry about the rest is through this system of of loans, yeah. and and not to get conspiratorial uh, <laughs> but but what are Please the do. linkages between lending uh, yeah. agencies and the companies that then hire mm-hmm. our graduates like yeah. well, or, I mean I, I'm not saying there's a connection but, but well no but right, I mean but, yeah, yeah. but think about if you're a bank yeah. and I, I, and I'm gonna sound conspiratorial think if you're a banking system and there is suddenly this high demand 
for like students. Now we have a population that believes it needs to attend this thing, which has been pretty low cost. But now all of these people want to attend it. What if we decided to just make it a little bit more difficult for them? What if we raised the cost? Because a typical neoliberal model is to, when something's working well, when there's mm-hmm. a demand or right. when things are, you raise the price. Right. You don't actually say, hey, you know what? Our genie doesn't say, oh my God, we've been doing so well. We're just going to cut prices across yeah. the board. Right. No, they say we've been doing so well, so now we can gouge a little more. Obviously, exactly. you like our service. Right. And along with that is also the culture that we have, or the sort of elite culture, and which... I, you know, I'm in the university system myself, so I don't want to sound too cynical, but um, that's okay. Like <laughs> to believe that we that it is such a just an inherent value in and of itself that education is such a, an inherent value, and yeah. so you know, would you ever consider not sending your kids to college? Never. I know <gasps> they must go. Oh and, my god! No, take know, a gap year. Yeah, <laughs> but make it for ten years, but a gap year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so you know, we kind of in this talking about like oh the beauty of this intellectual pursuit <laughs> which isn't really necessarily the reality of the right. college years right. i mean it can be it's great but it is happens. it but is yeah is it i mean i don't i don't teach undergraduates this is my first time ever teaching undergraduate mm-hmm. this year and i my undergraduate students are very concerned about careers yeah. and i don't yeah. know if that's the case for for all of you but yeah, they're very, yeah. My students are are all very concerned about careers. Yeah, I, I didn't. Definitely. The first time I went to undergrad in the late eighties, I didn't. I just thought I would get a job. I didn't actually think about what job. I just thought yeah. if I have a bachelor's degree, I'll get a job somewhere. Like right. I can walk in anywhere and get a job. Yeah. Well, so what I found is very something very interesting, and I've experienced it myself too, and seen it in my students is that. The identity, the connection between identity and job and passion, and that's oh, something yeah. that I really right. see as a real concern in students is, you know, okay, I'm learning all of this, I'm taking all of these classes, but what am I going to do with it? And not even in the sense of how am I going to, you yeah. know, m- at, make a living, but your, who will I be? Who will at the I be? At, yeah, yeah, well, that, right, that is, right. but that is, that is definitely a class issue in terms of which institutions, because true, yeah. I can tell you there was a study conducted at a certain university to look at what motivates students, mm-hmm. and they found, oh, these students are not motivated by careers or money. They're motivated by passion for what they want to do. They're motivated to, to, you know, to have a fulfilling career. Mm-hmm. Well, those students are well above the median income. Their parents are right. well, right. so of course money isn't their mm-hmm. concern. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go to the community college and ask that question. It's a right. whole different place. But I think it's yeah. sort of, it's still, and I definitely agree that that's a, there's a class difference there, but also, you know, the it t- says something about the culture of work and sort of the work ethic thing that we have in our yeah. culture, which is that you ha- have to define yourself based on your job. Yeah. And so, yeah. you yeah. know, you, first of all, you have to make enough money to live and you'd have to do that by working because you have, there's no other way of, yeah. to get support other than working in this system we have. But then also, if not that, then it's this, who are you? And right. the first answer to that right. question is right. your job. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because you know, it used to be having a college degree was a special thing, and people right. would say, oh, he's a college graduate, like a college graduate. And also, right. having student loan debt is actually still kind of shameful. Yeah. You know, nobody, it's like, to me, it's a, it's a sort of area nobody wants to actually talk about. We're proud of our kids, but they also have a lot of student loan debt. Yeah. But we're proud of our right, kids, right, yeah. and it's like an elephant in the room. Like their student loan debt is is crippling their sure. career chances right. forever for right. for right. you know a good thirty years, twenty five, thirty years. Right, right. Um, so they'll never climb out yeah. of it. So that so that identity better really pay off. 
if yeah, yeah identity. If exactly. otherwise, you're going to yeah. be in debt. And I think you know, um, I think the identity that that again to go to the students I know uh, that a lot of them value is the the geek yeah. thing, and and that seems to have uh, is all over the popular culture now. You know, we used to I think in the '80s it yeah. was it's uh, hip to be square kind of thing, <laughs> but now it's become. You know, well, um, you don't want to get into the nerd thing because the nerd thing has spilled over into like toxic masculinity because in fact that's a the point. uber nerd has become the sort of you know jerk sure um which yep. is another thing all right well we're going to take another break and we'll be back shortly you're listening to punching out on waiolp rochester 104.3 fm punching out is a project of the punching out collective tune in and punch out your boss isn't listening but we are Welcome back. Uh, we were just discussing uh, neoliberal university uh, as uh, the general mission of higher education these days and uh, talking about who gets to go, um, why they go, how much they pay for it, and what they get when they graduate. Um, and this leads us to a, to a number of other questions, one being if the university has become part of the wider neoliberal culture and economy, can, uh, can it be transformed? Or are there other ways that we can imagine doing what we do um, for students and, and more broadly the society? Maybe the issue is that we have believed that college is something that it has never been. It has only been in my lifetime where we have equality and parity in terms of numbers for women in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, a good point. We yeah. still don't yep. have yep. nearly representational equality yeah. with, with any non-white population. Right. Um, and so I would suggest that maybe the university's never fulfilled this function that we think it's supposed to. Yeah. Yes. But it's always an ideal. It's just never reachable. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I'm being maybe bleak. We've, we've, yeah, we've never know. been that ideal that we think we are. Um, this notion of the university... Yeah enlightening yeah. uh the world yeah. is chimerical you know it it's is not yeah it's i as you were saying that i really thought so much of of my time in the university um my four years of undergrad and how it really was this sort of walden type of thing yeah. that's what they how they advertised <laughs> wow. the oh really was, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and it, it truly was that and afterwards i actually became so so bitter about it because it was just at such stark contrast to the realities of the world wow. it seemed yeah. and and i think what if we're talking about like how can we imagine a kind of university or college system that actually would be greater that would be the ideal one it's some one that actually transitions into the world to the point of you know collective action what does collection ac- collective yeah. action actually mean and how do you do that right. and not ending with the just leave society yeah, sure. and exactly. think on your own. And yeah. Yeah. Getting students to think, how can they transform this thing right. that well. they are going to enter into rather than fit into it? And yeah. that's, you know, that is an idea. But that's not what, um, no, we only want them to transform robots and, and programming and things. So, yeah, and I think that, 
Um, ideally, and I think that sometimes students do learn this. I mean, some of the s- scandals we've seen going on recently yeah. locally mm-hmm. where you see students actually bonding together and working together to be, f- you know, resisting the structure but, of the university. But it's still the, that one university. It's, it's right, not exactly. all college students from all universities going to one campus, yeah. right. which is part of that. But And so if there was a sort of a way through which... Students could learn, you know, as a microcosm of the larger world, learn that this is actually exactly what it is, relationship with administration and then the trustees and then how they like the walls that they run against when yeah. Yeah. trying. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, actually learning. Yeah. Last week, uh, maybe two weeks ago, I was uh, teaching uh, my technical writing class. And one of the things we looked at um, was um, not just writing instructions, but mm-hmm. procedures and and as an example, I showed them some of the uh, policies mm-hmm. at RIT and the process for students to challenge their grade. Oh. I, I've never seen a group of students so fascinated <laughs> by a topic I've introduced. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, so maybe we could propose a change to that policy rather than just follow it. And so it was, and that, you know, uh, that kind of thing, though, ends up, and even in my sort of experiment there, becoming instrumental. They feel yeah. like, oh, I can right. develop my chops at yeah. writing instructions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. You know, as I mentioned, America in the last 50 years or so, we, you know, we're, we're basically still in an experiment. We're still in an experimental model of, of universities. I mean, the exclusion still happens. Elitism still rules the day. Um, and the price for more open and sort of social class inclusive mm-hmm. university is really to create a new class of debtors. And, and uh, I think one of the problems university administrations and trustees mm-hmm. are facing mm-hmm. is the demographic is against them at the yeah. national level. Yeah. So that there are fewer, there's a smaller number of students actually graduating and willing to yeah. take on the debt and pay. So yeah. one answer to that has been globalization. We've, we've been talking about the American system, but but. Uh, universities are going going global. In what sense? There are campuses, so I believe NYU, certainly RIT, have campuses in the Emirates, um, whether it be Dubai Mm -hmm. in the case of RIT, uh, or I think Abu Dhabi in the case of... Someone will correct me. Uh Um, And what they're seeing is that in some of these um, markets... Mm -hmm. uh, people can afford to go to these universities and not actually borrow. So wait, so they're basically just fishing for wealthy people all around the world at the expense of what? Is it, is it, Making them lower the tuition in the United States because somebody in Dubai can pay twenty eight thousand dollars a no, year or whatever. Right. Right. No, Again, yeah. that's yeah. the neoliberal model. That was a rhetorical model. question. But right? it is. Yes. <laughs> it's precisely the neoliberal model yeah. in, in action. It's exactly that. Right. There's an opportunity to collectivize as an sure. opportunity for people to have a better experience yeah. in their garden, and it's just not the case. So yeah, I guess we um, we know what the priorities are. Yeah, if I can bring it back to the uh, the question of the globalization of, of universities, uh, about 20 years ago, the sociologist Masao Miyoshi made this argument that the university was actually a note of resistance against transnational mm. corporations, that it was mm. at the university that you could question things like um, colonialism and, and make post-colonial arguments and, and get students to think about how their research and their degrees had an impact on you know, peasants mm-hmm. in India or something mm-hmm. like that. Today, 
that idea seems quaint because universities have become mm-hmm. they the are tr- the trans- same transnational corporations that he were, he was criticizing and yeah. they set a model right yeah right and so that makes me think of my experience in turkey where so first of all there are definitely universities in turkey that are sort of known as being sites of resistance uh-huh. um which are very very strongly known as that and they sort of have this like barricade against police entering and stuff like that and so um but at the same time in the last few years there have been so many new university private universities that have been built in turkey Mm. um and where when i was i taught for at a new university for the very very first year that it was open and it was one of 40 that had been built just in Istanbul that that year. Yeah. Um, and Amazing. so after that, like all of, and these are private universities that most students end up paying for. Um, and so, you know, in the end, like students, there are university graduates who are working at retail jobs and jobs where normally before it wouldn't have been someone with a university mm-hmm. degree working. So then the again, end. at the end of the day, who benefits? The mm-hmm. bosses benefit. Mm-hmm. Because not only do you have a class of students who are who are quote unquote more qualified, which is arguable because you know are right. they really more qualified? Right. But not only that, some of them have had to go into debt right. to pay for this, which means they're desperate. And mm-hmm. this helps us to have a, a mass of people who really need jobs. And we've said this in our last episode too. We, if, if there's enough people who really need jobs, yeah. that doesn't help labor. That actually right. helps the boss. Well, thanks for joining us again. And uh, this is Bobak. Zabby. And this is Alfred. With Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.